0: Have you ever felt alone? By by that I mean, have you ever felt so alone that you even felt maybe just for a moment as if even God had left you alone? And that may sound like a strange way to begin a sermon. But I think that question, if we're honest, hits us all in the heart. Each of us, maybe not recently, maybe not constantly, And maybe not regularly, but each of us, probably at some time in our life, have wondered where God is. Maybe you felt as if God was real, but that He sort of just had moved on to someone else in a particular season of life. Or maybe He had moved on to some problem bigger than yours at some time in life. But at some time in each of our lives, if we're honest, we have probably wondered where is God? On April the 10th, 1990, there was a person who suffers with bouts of depression who wrote in a diary and later published the diary online. But they wrote this on that date I see others who live and prosper, and yet here am I, stuck in this dark prison cell. Jesus, where are you? Please see my circumstances. Please hear my prayer. Please set in motion your answer, your solution. Why have you abandoned me? Why do you remain silent? I've waited and waited, yet I am met with silence. Two months later, that same person in the same diary wrote these words, The heavens remain silent. And this both angers and disappoints me. I thought I felt Jesus saying that He is carrying me through this, but how can I be sure? And if He is, why won't He let me feel His presence? Why won't He help me? Where is His Word? Where are His promises? And I dare say that each one of us, whether we've spoken that beautifully or written that beautifully before, we have all at some time or another felt and maybe even uttered very similar words. We've gone through trials, gone through difficulties and wondered, where is God But tonight, I want you to notice that if you have ever called upon God to remember you at a time in your life, that you are in good company. You are not the first to basically in life say to the Lord, remember me. In fact, you are in amazing company if you have ever uttered those words or even so much as had the thought There are many people in Scripture who have said those words, Remember me, and they have said them to God Himself. And what amazes me is the vast and varied circumstances under which those words have been spoken to God Himself. And tonight I want to encourage you, because almost no matter what circumstances you are facing or have faced, when you might have said or thought those words, someone in Scripture has probably said something similar to God. And I want to encourage by looking at their words, their circumstances, and simply ask Do you need to call out to God to remember you? For example, maybe it's when you need strength. He is the Bible's strong man. He's actually mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, just by name, but not by description. But Samson faced many difficulties due to temptation and other things in his life. And finally, as he came near the end of his life, he realized that he needed to take one more action against the enemies of God's people at that time. Of course, we know them to be the Philistines. And so in Judges chapter 16, starting in verse 23, we're told that the Philistines were having a, a party, a festival, a celebration to their false god, Dagon. And part of that celebration was to bring out Samson as a a type of visual aid of the power of their God as they thought it. Judges 16 verse 25 tells us, And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. It is a truly pathetic scene As the strongest man in the world has been reduced to a prisoner who's now called out to be nothing more than just cheap entertainment for a bunch of probably drunken pagans. His life had been reduced, it seemed, to a shameful moment, an embarrassing level. But sometimes, sometimes that's what it takes for us to remember to turn to God. The Philistines had captured Samson. They put out his eyes. They put him in prison. And now they are making him the very laughing stock of the whole nation. And finally, Samson hits rock bottom and realizes it's only God who cares. Notice verse 28 of Judges 16. Then Samson called the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Of course, we know the remainder of the account most likely. How Samson pushed those pillars of the temple apart, toppling the structure, killing all the Philistines who were inside, and of course, in the process, himself dying in that amazingly, amazing act of strength. But tonight, may I suggest that maybe, Just maybe you feel as if the world is laughing at you. You've tried to be strong, but you're struggling, you're weak. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's some sin that just continually holds you. You can't seem to shake yourself from some, from the allure of something like alcohol or nicotine or sexual temptation or the draw of money or fame or the praise of people. Maybe it's a continuing cycle of sin you just cannot seem to overcome and you feel as if God has forgotten about you. He has not forgotten But he has asked that you remember that he really is the only source of true strength. Or maybe in the second place, it's when you think that life has just been unfair. From a physically strong man, we turn to a spiritually strong lady. And we go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're introduced to a wonderful lady named Hannah who would become the mother, of course, of Samuel, after whom that book is named. But as we're introduced to Hannah, we're given something of her family. And we're told in First Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, there was a certain man of Remetham-Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Ziph, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, But Hannah had no children. That very last phrase of verse 2 means a lot to ladies throughout the ages, even today. But in the ancient world, and especially in that culture, it carried even more importance and even more weight. You see, to not have children in that time, in that culture, was seen by many as a sign that God was not blessing that lady. Now to be sure, it was thought of as this is totally unfair, because there was no reason why a woman like Hannah should not be allowed to have children and to see that If you please, visible blessing of God. Something of great value within that culture and to then be held as valuable in that culture. And on top of that difficulty, verse 6 of the chapter tells us that Penina, the other wife, made fun of Hannah for this this struggle in her life. We're told that that, that Penina provoked her grievously to irritate her. She did it on purpose. And verse 7 tells us she did this year after year after year. Can you just imagine... What are we supposed to do when life just seems unfair? Well, Hannah's prayer gives us the answer. Notice verse 11 of the chapter. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. We, of course, know that to be the the vow of a Nazarite. But we know how this turned out for Hannah as well. She was blessed with that boy. She named him Samuel, which literally means the one who has heard of God. May I suggest tonight that maybe you feel as if life has just been totally unfair. Maybe it's not something like barrenness that Hannah felt, but maybe it's just a turn in your life that seems to be completely against you and you realize, I I did nothing to deserve this. It really is unfair. And you wonder where God is. Why doesn't God just open up the heavens and tell everyone around you, this is unfair? He hasn't forgotten you. But all he He has asked, is that you remember that He is near. Or maybe, in the third place, it's when you struggle to lead. He had completed an amazing task In fact, it is one of the most impressive feats found anywhere in Scripture. In just 52 days, less than two months, the wall surrounding the city of Jerusalem was cleaned up, rebuilt, and the gates were hung again. And Nehemiah now, as the book continues, had finished that work and had gone back to his work under the king as a cupbearer. But as Nehemiah, the book, draws to a close in chapter 13, Nehemiah returns again to the city of Jerusalem. And he realizes there are more reforms that need to be made. The wall is the major thing, but that's done. But morality and other things need to be cleaned up among the people. And verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 13 begins to list for us some of the struggles that need to be faced. We're told, Now before this, Eliasheb the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, keep that in mind, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priests." Now that may not seem like a big deal to you if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, but Tobiah, the one I told you to kind of put a circle on your mind, Tobiah earlier in the book had been one of the most, one of the strongest and most vocal enemies of the Jews when they were attempting to rebuild the wall around the city. He, along with others, had attempted over and over again to stop the work, to intimidate the people, even to threaten Nehemiah himself and to threaten the people with attack. And now that same man is actually living in the wall. He is living in a chamber by or near the very wall that he had tried to stop the building of. Nehemiah realizes the problem. Verse 8 of the chapter tells us that he, he threw Tobiah out Verse 9 tells us that he had the room cleansed so that it could be used for its proper purposes again. But there were still other things that needed to be addressed that we simply don't have time to discuss tonight. And it was difficult work. And finally, as the strain of leadership began to bear down on Nehemiah, he ended the book, as we have recorded, in Nehemiah 13, verse 14, with this prayer. Remember me, O my God, concerning this. And do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for His service. you ever struggled as a leader? As an elder? As a parent? As a boss? As someone in civil service or governmental service? As a leader of anyone? Does the weight of trying to motivate people or trying to move people closer to God, ever just crush your spirit? Does the responsibility of trying to help people see their faults and help them walk forward into wise ways and biblical ways, only to see them slip back into ways that are dangerous and even sinful, does that sometimes threaten your your very soul and your very living, your, your very mindset? Leadership is wonderful, but it can absolutely crush us if we're not careful. It can demoralize a person's spirit, no matter how faithful that person might might be. If you struggle as leadership, remember, God has not forgotten you. But He has asked that if you are a leader, to remember that all leadership ultimately flows from Him. Or maybe in the fourth place, It's because you just can't understand why. The book of Job has touched countless lives throughout the centuries because it speaks to us wondering why life goes the way life goes. We may not be able to understand the specific struggles of a man who lost all of his children, his business, his health, his wealth, all in seemingly a few moments. But we have all, at times, looked to the heavens and said, I just don't understand this. And in countless ways throughout this book, Job states the very same thing. He never knows why all these things happened. My Bible class on Sunday mornings began looking at Job this morning. We made that point over and over again that in those first two chapters, we are given a glimpse as to why these things happened to Job. Job is never given that glimpse. He never knows why these things befall him. Because we do see it, we sometimes can struggle to fully identify with Job But because we are not told why in our lives fully, we can understand at least to a level the frustration, the depression that Job displays throughout the book. And yes, he perseveres, but he is still angry. He is still confused. He is still hurt over and over again. And at one of those times in Job chapter 14, as we read a little while ago, We see Job trying to defend himself to those friends who are trying to get the dirt on their buddy and say, well, just tell us what you did to deserve all these things. And Job cries out, beginning in verse 7 of Job 14, for there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease Though its root grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake, and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not, be, uh, not awake nor be roused out of his sleep. Do you see the extreme frustration? But now notice what, how Job responds. Speaking to God, oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, the grave, that you would conceal me until your wrath be passed, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. Now, I know those are poetic words, the picture that Job draws. But do you see his point? Job is basically saying, a tree has more hope than I do. Because if you were to cut a tree off at the ground, the roots would somewhere find water and those roots would begin some sprouts again. But when all this happens to me and when my life is over, what do I have to look forward to? What can I possibly go through this life looking forward to with all of this stuff going on on in my life, working against me? But God, remember me. Have you ever gone through a time when you just couldn't explain what was going on. Maybe like Job, it was a series of events that just seemed to be be crushing you. And you couldn't find a logical explanation for why those things were happening. Maybe you looked around and it wasn't trees like it was for Job, but maybe you saw something out there and you said, you know, that thing has it better than I do. Or maybe you looked at other people and you said, these people are sinful and they have it better than I do. And we still just cannot understand why. I just don't get it. I don't want to break your spirit tonight, but I want to remind you that in this life, we may never get it. In this life, we may never understand why certain things happen to us, or even a series of things happen to us. But God has not forgotten you. All He has asked is that you remember that He is sovereign. Or maybe in the fifth place, it's when others are harsh to you. Can you imagine exactly what God? If you did exactly what God commanded you to do for your entire life, without seeing a single tangible result, can, can you imagine spending, uh, spreading His message, yes, of warning, but also of forgiveness? Year after year after year and not a solitary person respond positively to that message. And even beyond that, can you imagine doing that constantly and people turning against you because you're telling them and warning them about the things of God? That's the life of the great prophet Jeremiah. The man wanted to quit, but he had to keep preaching I've been asked before. Have you ever thought about quitting preaching? And I say yes, every Sunday night, right? Because it's tiring at times, right? But I can't. Under, I can't imagine what Jeremiah went through when year after year he preached the truth and he loved the people. And not only did they say no, they turned against him, and with tears, he reached out to them. He sometimes is nicknamed the weeping prophet. He's the one who wrote the book that bears the name Lamentations. And the people turned against him, trying to rid themselves of what they thought was a nuisance, who would be so bold as to tell them that God is going to turn against them because they've been sinful. How do you handle it? When, people are trying, when you're trying to do what's right, and people are harsh to you because of that. Jeremiah 15 and verse 15. The prophet calls out to God, O oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. I don't know if God will actually take vengeance in a visible way in my lifetime on those who may do harm to me or the same for you. But Jeremiah had the right place to turn. He even turned this awful time in his life and its very difficult emotion over to the Lord. He stated that I know that God understands what's going on and that suffering and pain was due to his faithfulness to the plan of God's will, God's word, and faithfulness to the plan of God, following the direction of God for his life. If you can honestly say that others are being cruel or harsh to you because of your faithfulness to the plan of God, God knows and God hears your calls to Him. Think of the missionary who faithfully preaches year after year after year and yet no one responds to the truth. Think of those preachers who preach sermon after sermon in difficult places in our own country and no one ever comes to hear them preach or no one walks down an aisle in a visible way. But also think of the high school student who has derided daily for standing for the truth. Think of the college student who's called an idiot for actually believing this old Bronze Age book. Think of the, the employee, employee who, who is not given a promotion simply because they will not fudge the numbers, but they're going to stand for what's true. A Christian can be jailed in certain parts of the world, even killed for standing for the truth. But God has not forgotten you. All he has asked is that you remember that he's in control and people aren't. Or maybe, number six, it's when you need to be saved. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23 and verse 42. The first five things we talked about tonight are for those who are already Christians. God knows what is happening in our lives. He does care. He does hear our cries. He does answer our prayers Though we don't always know how He's going to answer and we may not fully understand His answer. But some are not Christians. A dying sinner reminds us that, that this same prayer, remember me, is the answer. Now, we may need to do more than just say the words, remember me, but the thief on the cross in Luke 23 knew exactly the one to whom he said those words. He trusted that salvation could be granted by the one in the middle cross. Tonight, maybe you need to be saved from sin. God has not forgotten you And we know that to be the case because He did allow His Son to go through that suffering, that agonizing suffering on the cross. And He did so in your behalf. He took your place. He simply asks you to trust in what happened there, to contact the blood that was shed there by faith in the act of baptism and turn from your former life of sin and selfishness. If you'll do those things, you can know for certain but he won't forget you. For the one tonight who needs to become a Christian, in reality, by faith, the act of baptism is calling out to God, remember me. And maybe tonight someone needs to do that. But if you are a Christian, and most of us in this room, I assume, are, maybe something's going on in your life where there's stress, there's difficulty, there's pain, there's a broken relationship. And maybe you're going through a time, even though you're in a church building on a Sunday night, where at least at times you're at least tempted to think, maybe, maybe, God doesn't really see. Maybe God's not really there. For all of us, it's time to hold on. Because He's in control. Even though you haven't seen Him, you love Him. He... Will not forget his children. And in this life, there are going to be seasons where we wonder where he is. There are going to be seasons where we wonder does he really see? Does he really care? And tonight, maybe you're going through one of those seasons. In Genesis chapter 8 and verse 1, that Noah and his family were on the ark of safety. And the Bible very beautifully states, and God remembered Noah. Listen to me carefully. If you are in the ark of safety, the church, the Bible promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. May I paraphrase? God remembers you. Tonight, do you need to turn your life over to him? Do you need prayers of strength and encouragement and just say, look, I I know God's with me, but sometimes I just need His people to put their arms around me and remind me of that. Sometimes I just need some encouragement to walk forward, to to press forward. Because life isn't always easy. We put on decent clothes, we come together on Sunday, we look look all good and, and smile, but then we go home and there's that stress again. We go to the job and there's that difficulty again. We go to school, there's that person again. There's that difficulty again. if you are a Christian, God has not forgotten you. But maybe tonight, you need to remember that. And you need to pray for encouragement to step forward and to press forward. Whatever your need is tonight, remember Him by responding as we stand and sing to encourage you.